This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you on Afternoons. We're taking a deep dive into ADHD. What does a diagnosis look like? Can labels be empowering or harmful? Chatting with both an expert when it comes to behaviour analysis and a mum too. Plus, of course, answering all those hot questions coming in on the text line. What do Simone Biles, Greta Gerwig, Mark Ruffalo, Michael Phelps, Trevor Noah have in common? They all have ADHD. They've spoken openly about it. And that's what we're talking about today. We're doing a deep dive into that diagnosis with an expert and a mum joining us after half past. We've got Carrie from Thriving Souls with us. She's been helping children and families overcome some of the obstacles, the challenges relating to, well, talking ADHD today, but also autism, some challenging behaviours, learning difficulties and the missing developmental milestones as well for over 20 years. She's a board certified behaviour analyst and an international behavioural analyst and uh, she's worked in the US and Ireland and has been in the UAE for the last nine years. So who better to guide us through this topic? Carrie, I guess my first question to you is is why? You know, why why is this an area that you really wanted to work in and what's your mission with, with Thriving Souls? Hi, Helen. Thank you so much for that question. So I've been working in this field for a very long time. So it's it's always been my passion to help empower individuals to improve their behavior, to give them as many opportunities as possible to leave an, lead an independent life. But recently with Thriving Souls, I still have that passion, but I also really want to empower the parents, the parents to know their child inside and out, mm-hmm. to know exactly what that their child needs so they can be the ones to tell the schools and tell the professionals, this has worked in the past, this is what they need. Um, you know, and how to advocate for their kids. How to advocate for them, We've right. We've been talking with Noor about that after half past, after right. her son's diagnosis. But um, I know you talk about this every day, and I know it's very much your bread and butter. But And I do think there is more education awareness. But would you mind explaining, and pretend I'm a six-year-old, what ADHD is? Sure. So ADHD, I mean, it's the, the classic is the hyperactivity, impulsivity, and inattentiveness. So that would be the, the classic diagnosis. So that's what you would get if you go to an educational psychologist, right? I see kids in the classroom. I see kids in, in the homes. So what I see, so I think this is a little bit more interesting than the clinical diagnosis. What I see is they have a really good attentive day, they have a really off day where they're not attending. Handwriting is often really, really difficult for them. Um, even if when they learn how to, to how to write, writing tasks are hard. Sometimes social skills are a little bit difficult because of that impulsivity with their peers. Their peers don't quite understand it. So it's it's it fluctuates a, a lot with their behavior. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about what these kids need. And because one day is good and one day is not good, there's often the misconception that they are choosing to behave this way, but they're not. I mean, they, they, it's, they cannot control it. They don't have the skills to control their impulses. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, and I know we're not going to have solid data, certainly out of the region, but how common is ADHD? Because, you know, there's a lot of misdiagnosis. There's a lot of absent diagnosis. And we've seen arguably in other parts of the world, there's overdiagnosis. So do, do we have a rough number yeah. or a percentage? I think the last time I looked at it, it's about 5 to 8% of, of children, mostly boys, 
So it's most common with boys. Um, yeah. And, and as I think it's important to, cause people ask, you know, does it get better with age? It does. I mean, they say kind of, as somebody gets older, it drops by 50% every five years as somebody gets older. So, I mean, once you have a diagnosis, you have a diagnosis, but I think what happens is you just learn the skills you mature to to cope with the world that's interesting so instead of fighting your impulses your behavior and feeling like the world's working against you you almost reprogram how to navigate it in a way that suits you does that make sense you do yeah you have to have additional resources and and tools that maybe other individuals don't need Mm. and to to navigate the world are there different types or i guess levels of adhd yeah, I mean, every individual is going to be a little bit different, right? So, you know, one individual, um, their behaviors and their impulsivity may be a little bit more extreme than another, mm-hmm. for sure. And it also depends, you know, have they gotten any support, right? I mean, has did that start at a young age or are they 12 years old just just then getting support? Mm-hmm. So that plays a huge role. So the the role of kind of early intervention in these things. We're going to talk about the diagnosis process next. What support is available to children and to families as well? Many a message coming in on 4001. We can talk treatment. We're going to be speaking to Mum Noor after half past as well about their experience as a family. Um, Medication versus non-medication. There's a lot to talk about. Joining us, co-founder of Thriving Souls, Carrie Green, as we talk about supporting children and families through ADHD diagnosis, of course, but also all the way through, you know, executive function, socialising, school. And I wanted to ask you about that diagnosis piece, because we've had a message here saying when, you know, uh, when do you seek a diagnosis? When is typical toddler behaviour and hyperactivity something to worry about? That's from Nina. So would you mind speaking to that? And then I guess the next piece is getting that diagnosis. Sure. Yeah. Um, with something like ADHD, you might see some kind of signs before you, you get the diagnosis, but typically it is, uh, the kids are slightly older. So seven, eight years old, because usually these are related to being in school, being in a very structured environment. And that's when it becomes, you know, highlighted that they're having difficulties with things. You might see it, you know, when they get this diagnosis in hindsight, you might think, oh yes, I did see signs when they were younger, but I I thought nothing of it. So you don't typically see um, very young toddlers getting diagnosed with ADHD, although you might be suspicious of it. Mm -hmm. And then I guess there's no upper limit. No, no, there's not. I mean, adults, um, you know, you can get diagnosed with ADHD at any, at any age. My my sister got diagnosed as as an adult. Um, so yeah, there's there's no limit on it really. Having spoken to friends who got diagnosis in their forties, have just said it's been like I'm trying to think of the analogy that was used, but a bit like kind of finding a missing puzzle piece, yeah, and reflecting on life and how you know you moved around the world and just going. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, I get it now. Yeah. So if someone is listening now or they've noticed in their child, actually, this could make sense for my kid and I want to support them. What's the next step? You know, you mentioned, you know, educational psychologists before. We've had um, neurologists, pediatric neurologists on the show. Is there a first protocol? Is it a family doctor or can you go straight to a specialist? can go straight to a specialist. It, it typically is an educational psychologist who would do all of the diagnostic tools to, you know, give or not give that diagnosis of ADHD. Mm-hmm. We have, an, as humans, this confirmation bias and sometimes as parents, and I'm not certainly saying as professionals that, you know, you start looking for signs and clues, but have you seen that in, in parents before when you're like, well, actually, the, just being a kid? 
Yes, yes. I do a lot of parent coaching and um, a lot of it is kind of helping parents discriminate you know, what is just normal child behavior versus something to be concerned about? Can I ask you about, I'm, I'm going to ask Nora about this as well when, when she comes in to talk about her boy, about the, the power of a label. You know, for some people, it can feel like a huge relief to have the answers and treatment plan and understand what you're dealing with. And for others, it can still feel stigmatized. How do you feel about the diagnosis and a label of ADHD in a child in particular? Right. So for what I do with my work, I don't, I don't need a diagnosis. So I don't need, um, you know, that, that piece of paper to say that they have ADHD or any other kind of diagnosis. I just go off, what is this child not doing that their age, um, their age peers are doing? And do they have any kind of challenging behaviors that most kids their age are not doing? And then we work to improve on those things. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the label is important for for parents and for schools, and sometimes it's not important, right? So I don't think it's something that has to be done. It just, it's very up to the family, I think. Can I ask you this question? Um, Nusha's been in touch on 4001. I'm saying, can you please explain the causes? I've heard that everything from infant trauma to genetics can contribute. What do we know, Carrie? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot unknown about ADHD, as with lots of neurodevelopmental disorders. So they think that there's a huge kind of genetic component to ADHD. And there's even, you know, some research behind a child being um, born with a genetic predisposition that then gets triggered at some point by trauma, by environmental toxins. um, And then they start showing the signs of ADHD, right? And um, there, you know, there's research linked to trauma without the genetic component. So there's, there's, there's multiple kind of research and theories Mm -hmm. behind it. Can we talk treatment? And I guess maybe before we talk treatment, the consequences of untreated ADHD. What have you seen in, in your practice in children and I guess the family dynamic as well? Yeah, it's it's really difficult in the family. So <clears throat> obviously you see a lot of difficulties in schools because the child is expected to sit at a table, do the work, lots of handwriting, um, lots of kind of controlling their impulses. So that's where you see a lot of the the difficulties, but the difficulties are also in the home. So I I don't think, you know, I work with with kids in schools and in homes, and I always really stress to the parents for us to be able to see the child at home to give them some support because that shouldn't go, you know, untreated. No, of course, when you think about stress on parents and sibling dynamics and, you know, all of that. So can we talk about treatment? And you're there, obviously, working with families sometimes in the home and going into schools. Um, We've had a message about medication. Would you mind if I put that to you? Yeah. um, I mean, medication, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with with trying medication. My opinion is that other behavioral interventions should be tried first, um, especially with young children. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you should wait for a child to mature and to have tried other interventions first. And then if you do try medication, obviously it's with it's with your doctor. You're going to monitor their behavior because there are side effects of these medications. And sometimes it's unwanted side effects and it in you know, it affects all kids differently. I've had a few messages from grown-ups. Um, one saying, I have ADD. Stayed off Ritalin though as it dulled me. I was a secondary school teacher for a while and I lost interest in my lessons before the pupils did. Yeah, I've seen that a lot with kids. It completely, it almost changes their personality. So, you know, yes, they were a bit hyperactive, a bit impulsive, but then after the medication, they're dulled mm-hmm. and they lose their appetite and, 
you know, it completely, it changes, it changes who they are. And we don't want that. Um, S saying, I know you're talking about kids in particular today, but having got a diagnosis in my mid thirties, I can say looking back on my life, it's been a pain. Um, I've got no ability to multitask. I've become extremely obsessive to the detriment of everything else. On the face of it, you can do very well, but keeping a number of spinning plates going in your life can be a real challenge. If you've got any questions for Carrie speaking to us from Thriving Soul today, the text lines are open. Um, We've had a message asking about executive function, a uh, question about the role of diet, which I think is a really good point as well. We are going to be speaking to Noor next. Her son got a diagnosis and we're going to be talking about what they decided to do in terms of therapy and treatment, impact on the family, what school life looks like now. We're joined in the studio now by not one but two experts, I guess of different kinds and perspectives, because Cara Green is with us from Thriving Souls. She works with children and families, helping overcome some obstacles and challenges relating to learning difficulties, autism. We're talking ADHD today as well. She's a board-certified behaviour analyst, goes into schools and supports where she can and has had some amazing, amazing experiences with families, including in the hot seat. No, uh, no. she's a visual artist, a writer, mum of two, and it was during lockdown that she discovered her son was having some problems focusing. It was confirmed later as he got hold of that he is a neurodivergent child. Um, and I wanted to start with that, if you don't mind, Noor. I guess mm-hmm. we were talking earlier about, you know, when do these typical, you know, can't keep your bum on a seat type behaviours turn into something that might be, you know, becoming a bit obstructive at school or socially? What was it that started to make you think that, you know, your boy could, could might benefit from some investigation? Well, uh, we were in lockdown and uh, doing some of those, you know, online uh, assessment. No, sorry, the online videos that you have oh, to the learning. Yeah, oh, the yeah, the distance learning. Mm-hmm. And um, we had to, he had to answer a question that he knew the answer to. But I'm trying to press the record button, and every time I put up the camera, I had to repeat the question six times before I press record, and he'd forget the answer. And then it, again, you know, it came on his report cards, if he focuses more, if he focuses more, and like in several subjects. So I guess, you know, that's what pushed us towards it. Um, we were just talking there about how labels can be really empowering, or in fact, I had a message about not wanting a label. How do you, how do you and he feel about having that diagnosis? So we never actually told him that he has ADHD. Um, the way we explained it to him is that it's like he has 10, 12 channels going on in his head at the same time. And what we're helping him do is focus on one at a time. Um, And for us, as parents, I think it was sort of validating because when he was having those symptoms, I used to think and blame it on my parenting. I used to think, oh, he's acting this way because I must be doing something wrong, you know, the way I'm interacting with him. And just knowing that his neurodivergence uh, there isn't the cause of, you know, bad parenting. It's just slightly validating in that sense that it's not your fault. But in the same time, you know, yes, you don't like that label because I don't like the word disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that ADHD, as a matter of fact, and everybody who has it experiences it differently. Like Absolutely. even in my family, like I have twin brother, sister who uh, experience it very differently. So. Isn't that interesting? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's much like we, you know, we've said on the show before about autism. You've met one child with autism. You've met one child with autism. You know, there's no one size fits all or one, you know, fixed treatment plan. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. What did you decide to do? I mean, obviously, having some parenting coaching and having a level of understanding which must have been hugely helpful for the family. But what about what about your boy in terms of helping him work with his brain rather than working against him in school? Um, 
Yeah. So we had to go through a bunch of therapies. We decided to go the non-medical route. Um, not that I'm not, you know, judging any families that decided to go the medical route, but for us in our case, you know, it doesn't help him. And we, uh, we you know, we thought the we should try other things first. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, we did adjust the diet. So we went as close to as, you know, gluten-free and non-processed foods. Um, we tried uh, therapies like behavioral intervention. We tried uh, occupational therapy, psychomotor therapies. We tried fine motor development. This is sounding pretty expensive, no? <laughs> it is. It is. So, and and that's the thing, you know, like there isn't enough support for uh, families who decide to go this route. Like mm-hmm. insurance did not cover most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, given all of these technological advances in society and ADHD being kind of on the rise, you know, we should prioritize this in our research and say, hey, you know what? We need to find other ways mm-hmm. um, to deal with ADHD given... Um, that it's on the rise. I wanted to ask you about advocating for your son. What does that look like and, and mean to you? Um, going from thinking it's my fault to like, okay, I need to stop feeling as a victim of his behavior, that instead, the when he's experiencing those sim- symptoms, it's actually him going through a hard time. Mm-hmm. So I need to stop you know, feeling that way and I need to be empowered so I can help him advocate for himself as well. That's a huge shift. Yeah. And what, what about now, you know, if you look back on what you've been through, tried, paid for, um, you know, experimented with, um, you know, coming through, what advice would you give to any parents that might have received a diagnosis or are thinking about it? Yeah, he's come a long way um, and we're very proud of him and what he's, he's done. And uh, I'm not to, not to say that every day is a Hollywood day, right, that everything is perfect. But uh, we have those days where things are great and those days where things are still challenging and we regress and do some of the things that we used to do in the past. Mm-hmm. So keep trying. I would say keep trying. See what fits for you and your child um, because no, there's no one size fits all in, when it comes to this. Thank you, Noor. I've had, I'm going to try, try a bit of a quick fire round on the text line, Carrie, if you don't mind. We've had lots of questions on this topic. Um, if you do want to get in touch, you're going to have to be fast. No disrespect to Hanson, but I think we might ditch the song so we can help out as many people on topic of ADHD. Um, no name on this one saying, I would just worry that you're stuck with a label for life and it would count against you, um, e.g. secondary school applications. Do you need to disclose? Is this a concern you've heard from other parents over the years, Carrie? Yes, um, this comes up a lot, whether it's secondary school or primary school, whether it's autism or ADHD. A lot of parents ask me, should they tell the school? And it's, it, it is ultimately up to, to the parents. I would say if the child um, is still, you know, especially, you know, maybe by secondary school, they've learned skills to cope and they've learned, um, you know, ways to kind of manage their impulsivity. Um, So maybe by secondary school, it's not necessary because Mm -hmm. if they go into it and they have this label, no doubt they're going to be a little bit under a microscope. That's just how the world is, right? So people will be looking at them um, a little bit more carefully than they would if they didn't have that diagnosis. I see that even with siblings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they're in primary school, <clears throat> you do want the school, the school is there to support and to help, right? So in primary school, if your child, no doubt, is probably still having these difficulties, I would probably be of the opinion to to tell the school and to be honest with them so that the school can help you. And it shouldn't be of like us against them. No, of course not. It's got, that's that team mentality. Yeah. You ultimately want the same thing for the child, which right. is a healthy, happy child who feels safe to learn and is 
supported. Right. Message here from Ambreen saying, once you get the label, the world starts looking at your child differently. And that's the saddest reality of our lives as special parents. Autism is, an ex- autism is an expensive condition, especially seeing the therapies not being covered if you have multiples like me. But I still love them. Never stop advocating as a mum. We've also, I mean, Noor just touched on this, but Nusha's asking about what role does diet play? Is that something that, I mean, I know you don't necessarily, you know, talk about nutrition specifically, but have you seen any interesting or positive results in making some eliminations or additions to diet? Yeah, I mean, and Noor might can talk a little bit more about this because she's actually doing it with her son. But I think, um, you know, it it just makes sense, right? When when somebody has these kind of chemical imbalances, to make sure that they're the the foods that they're eating are a little bit pure, yeah. right, and not regulated. processed. It. Yeah. Um, did you notice? I'm not. I mean, it would be amazing if you saw an overnight change. But yeah. is there anything that you've noticed are particularly triggering for your son, and you would ideally keep him away from at a children's birthday party? Yeah, uh, it used to be a struggle sometimes to just make sure that he eats before going to a, a birthday party. Um, but yes, the gut-mind connection is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes, you know, he did have some health issues that affected his gut. And I think that's also probably one of the causes that he um, led him to experience the symptoms that he's having. Mm-hmm. So um, absolutely. That whole body approach. Yes. Really key. Even movement, I would add as well, not just diet, like move, you know, like it helps clear the brain. When I've spoken to Adam Griffin, a.k.a. Adam the OT, he's he's got a group and he's great with boys in particular, he says, and he calls them his hard charges. And he's like, if you could be doing 25,000 steps a day, that would be very helpful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No name on this one saying we're at a very expensive, highly rated school, but they don't support ADHD. And they're always frustrated by my son. It is so, so sad. Um, saying they now have ADHD and they give him warning letters for talking. How, how does that work when you go in? Would you mind just kind of demystifying a little bit about Thriving Souls and how you work with schools on a kind of practical basis, Carrie? Would that be okay? Sure, yeah. I observe a lot of kids in schools. So a lot of times schools will call me um, and, you know, with parent permission, they'll ask me to come in. Sometimes it's the parents who contact me. But I go into schools and observe observe a child and do my different functional assessments. And then if we, you know, then work with a child, I'll put in place strategies, right? So a child with ADHD, it's always, it depends on their age, but it's always kind of centered around teaching them um, to, to chunk their work up, to take movement breaks. Um, we might work one-to-one on some emotional regulation strategies, handwriting strategies, given strategies to the school about um, typing rather than writing, mm-hmm. using speech-to-text rather than writing. So a lot of it, we work one-to-one with a child. We work in small groups. Um, but there is a huge part where we we need to work with the school and give them some strategies to then implement with a child, which means we need their kind of buy-in with it, right? Um, I mean, you know, it might be a simple case of, um, you know, a child who's in grade three, the teacher gives, you know, a three-step instruction to the class. Inevitably, they will probably forget what they need to do, Mm -hmm. um, and they will wander off and do something else. So, you know, I've made a laminated card and asked the teacher to then write the instructions down so that the child can refer back to it. Sometimes we get that support, and sometimes we don't get that support. So those things are necessary Last question, and this is from George saying, um, how do your guests feel about tools like fidget spinners, um, keeping hands and brains occupied? That's a good point. We've seen, we've seen a big you know, increase in this availability. Can I ask as a mum, are those useful, Nor? And then lastly, as, as a behavioural analyst. Yeah, those fidgets helped when um, he was in school and in a subject that required listening. But in PE, for instance, no, it did not work. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to add about the label thing, um, you know, 
It is often, as parents, parenting a child with ADHD, you see the negative aspects sometimes and you tend to focus on the negative more. But I would say also focus on the positive things because they have a lot of positive things and lead with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so to remove the label, as to say, you know. And um, from what I've seen with a lot of people who have ADHD, they can turn this into a, actually a point of strength. Um, we still haven't figured out exactly what that is for our son, but he's, he's a very young. strong reader. He's a very strong reader. Mm-hmm. He's above, you know, beyond his age and the way he thinks and analyzes. So you never know. And and, and other kids I've known that, that said, no, we struggle with reading, you know. But And with his writing, his writing is below average. And so it's like a spiked profile. You, mm-hmm. can, you can never say... Find that superpower. Yeah. Thank so you, find your superpower. So, exactly. so much. Yeah. Um, Carrie, for anyone that would love some support from you, whether it's for their child or, as I said, parent coaching around... Um, diagnosis process or working with schools and beyond is it okay to share your your details if that's okay yes of course okay tell you what if you want to send me the words thrive i will send you those details both thank you so so much for coming in it's been really really valuable judging by the number of messages saying you know you need to advocate for your child no one knows better than us absolutely mm-hmm. right carrie and in the studio this afternoon And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcast.